thank you for taking the time to watch this past weekend's message. If you are ever in the Denver metro area, we would love to have you join us at one of our four services on Saturday or Sunday. We also stream our services to Facebook and our website every Sunday at 9 a.m. If you plan on watching live, be sure to invite your friends to watch with you. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Well, it is so great to have all of you today with us here at Orchard Church. Also want to especially welcome our first-time guest. Who's ready for some Bible today? Let me hear from you guys. I got some Bible for you today. I think you're going to enjoy this. We are in week three of our series called Mixtape. We're looking at some of our favorite messages over the years here at Orchard Church. Today is one of my favorite, probably one of our most requested, talked about messages uh, that I've done in the past here at Orchard Church. So you picked a great day uh, to be with us. Um, go ahead and take out your Bibles if you haven't already or your mobile devices. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16 is where we'll be in just a moment. As you're finding your way there in 2 Peter, um, we we had a historic weekend last weekend, something really cool that happened here at Orchard Church. One of our faithful members of Orchard Church, for the first time ever, we had someone turned 100 years old. He was 100 last Sunday, and so I got a picture with him. This is Morris Clark. Um, his family and friends call him Poppy. I call him Big Poppy. And so if you see Morris around the church, he was here this morning in our, our uh, service, the first service. Um, wish him a happy 100th birthday. Uh, we thought that was pretty awesome, pretty cool, and worth celebrating. Well, as we are in week three of our series, Mixtape, we have been talking about uh, some of our favorite messages. We've been talking about uh, mixtapes maybe we used to make when uh, back in the day, you know, we had like the Jock Jam uh, mixtape or we had the 80s classic mixtapes. And last week, Michael Talley brought the message and he said, you know, there's one mixtape uh, that we had that we never shared with anyone and that was our Love Songs mixtape. And some of you may remember that. Well, about 26 years ago, I had a Love Song mixtape tape that was given to me uh, that really kind of scarred me for life. And if you've been at Orchard any length of time, you probably heard me tell this story that on Shelly and I's wedding night, a little over 26 years ago, uh, we were getting ready to leave the church uh, to go have our first night together, and we had honored God together. We had waited to be intimate um, on our wedding night. Can't say that was true of all my relationships, but I got it right with Shelly, and that's why we had a very short engagement, if you know what I mean, okay? And so we were leaving uh, the, the church there to, to go to the hotel, and my brother-in-law stops me at the door, and he says, I've got something I made for you. And I'm like, okay. And he hands me this mixtape of romantic love songs. And he said, I made this for you guys for your honeymoon. You're going to want to play this tonight. And he gave us a cassette player to play it. And so we were like, okay, that's a little weird, but okay, you know, thanks. And so we get to the hotel, and we were, you know, like, well, should we play this or not we were kind of scared and so we put it on and we started playing it and it was basically a lot of you know beautiful romantic classical music and the first song played and it was actually kind of nice and things were kind of starting to get a little exciting if you know what I mean and then the second song started to play and then it stopped and then you hear my brother-in-law's voice how you guys doing you know <laughs> yeah how, how many of you heard me tell that story I've told that story before well there's more to the story um, about three weeks ago, Shelly and I um, moved uh, from a two-story to a one-story for the first time in 13 years. And as we were purging everything out and going through a bunch of boxes in the basement, believe it or not, Shelly found that tape. 
she, she goes, you're not going to believe what I found. And she goes, it's the tape that Jim, our brother-in-law, gave us on our wedding night. And we were like, oh, we got to play this again. We got to see, see, because we hadn't seen it. We thought we got rid of it. We thought we burned it or something. And it says right on here, Victoria's Secret Masterpieces. That's what it says. And so I thought maybe you guys might like to share in what we heard 26 years ago. Should, should I play this? Should, now... It was, we found the tape, but what was really hard was we had to find a cassette player. Now that was a chore, and we actually came across one. Uh, this was sitting on my table last night, and Joe Com, our student director, he's in his 20s, he was doing hosting, he came out, he picked this up, and he goes, is that a cassette player? I'm like, yeah, Joe. He goes, I've never seen one of those before. How does that work? He goes, did you actually carry these around? I'm like, yes, in the dark ages. That's what we did, Joe. So I thought I would give you guys a little sample of what we heard on our wedding night 26 years ago. It's, it's a little hard to hear, but I think you'll, you'll get the gist of it. I'll just kind of put it up to my mic. So listen closely for it. Starts out okay. Wait for it. Hello there, you two. I wanted to make this mixtape of romantic songs for your wedding night. I hope it adds to your intimate pleasure this evening. Please enjoy. Yeah, we couldn't turn it off fast enough. There it is. I know some of y'all thought I made that story up. It was true, and so we got it. Well, hey, today I have entitled the message in this series mixtape, uh, Chart Topper. Maybe you had a mixtape of chart toppers. These are like number one hits. And what we're gonna talk about today is our number one value here at Orchard Church. We have 11 values that God has given us as a church. You can see them uh, on the hallways, on the walls as you go around. Uh, but this today is our most important value, our number one value. This is what Orchard Church was founded on. And this value really dictates all of our other values, what we believe, and everything we do as a church. And if you're taking notes, and I hope you will today, this is the value we're going to talk about today. We always ask, somebody help me out, what does the Bible say? We as a church always ask that question, what does the Bible say? That's our number one value. Everything else we do is based on that value. Not what does Orchard Church say, not what does the leadership say, not what does Pastor Doug say, what does the Bible say? Now, why why do we always ask that question, what does the Bible say? We ask that question because we believe that we have a book, the Bible, that we can trust, that we can believe in. It can be counted on. Now, I know not everybody believes that. Not everybody believes the same things about the Bible that many of us here at Orchard Church believe. Uh, maybe you're here today as a guest and you heard about what we were talking about and you're exploring your faith. You're just beginning your faith journey. You're not sure what you believe about the Bible or about Jesus and Christianity. And that's okay. You're in the right place. We're so glad that you're here. We say it all the time that you can belong here even before you believe here. But I hope today will get you closer or maybe even over that line of faith as we answer this question, can we really trust the Bible? Can we really trust the Bible? Because today people have trust issues. How many of you would agree by a show of hands that people have trust issues today? We, we don't trust anybody. Yeah, you put them down. Some of y'all didn't even raise your hand because you didn't trust what I was going to have you do if I raised hand that I was going to point you out. But we have trust issues today. And so uh, with lots of things and then we go well can we really trust the bible i mean i know we can't trust the weathermen and women here uh, in denver right i've shoveled partly cloudy off my driveway more than once um you know we we're getting ready for the broncos a new season i think it's their 60th season anybody excited about the broncos season 
See, that was really light for Bronco fans because we don't know if we can trust this team this year after last year. We got a new quarterback, Flacco. Can we trust a guy that put us out of the Super Bowl? We don't know. We have trust issues, and so people often wonder, can I really trust the Bible? Is there any such thing as absolute truth? Because we here at Orchard Church believe that the Bible is absolute truth, that it is the inspired, inerrant, infallible, perfect word of God. But 70% of Americans that were polled recently uh, in a USA Today poll said they don't believe there's any such thing as absolute truth. 70% of Americans. So is there anything such thing as absolute truth? Can we really trust the Bible? I want us to start out in 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, verse 16. And I want us to hear from Peter. Peter was an apostle. He was a disciple, a follower of Jesus. He was with Jesus. He was one of the 12, you know, for three and a half years. He walked with Jesus. He talked with Jesus. And Jesus, when he left the earth, Peter wrote some things down for us in the Bible about his time with Jesus. And he's going to make a case that today we have something that is even more uh, valuable and more um, accurate than when Jesus was here walking this earth. I mean, this is a powerful statement in case that Peter makes. Let's, let's read about it. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, Peter says this, For we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, we weren't just making these things up. This is a real true story. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes when he received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice, everybody say the voice. And now this is not the TV show, The Voice, okay? This is the voice of God. The voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, to Jesus, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. In the Gospels, there was a day where Jesus took Peter and John up to a mountain and they heard the audible voice of God talking about Jesus, I mean, that would be pretty amazing to experience that. I mean, it's like I heard the audible voice of God. I mean, what could be better than that? Well, what Peter's about to tell us is that God has left us something that's even better than the audible voice of God, better than Jesus actually even being here. What, what is this? Well, look at verse 19. He says, because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. Where do we find the message proclaimed by the prophets? In this book, in the Bible, in the Old Testament. He goes on and says, you must pay close attention to what they, somebody help me out, what they, what they wrote. Where did they write it? In the Bible. For their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and Christ the morning star shines in your hearts. Above all, Peter says, don't miss this. Pay attention. Above all, you must realize now that no prophecy in Scripture, the Bible, ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. In other words, the Bible didn't come from people. It came from God. He says, no, these prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from where? They spoke from God himself. That is a powerful statement, what Peter is telling us, that what we have today is more reliable than even the audible voice of God, the Word of God, the written Word of God, God's final revelation to us today. Peter was saying, you can trust the Bible. You can count on the Bible. You can believe the Bible. And if you have trouble accepting what Peter said, maybe you'll believe what Jesus himself said. Jesus in John 17, 17 said this, make them holy by your truth. People are looking for truth. Is there any absolute truth today? Jesus said, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your what? Your word, God's word, the Bible, which is truth. Notice Jesus didn't say it contains truth or has some truth. 
You see, this is why this is such an important subject here at Orchard Church and why we talk about this frequently. Because it's sad. There are even some churches today that will say something like this, that we believe that the Bible contains the Word of God. We believe that the Bible contains truth. And that sounds okay, but we would reject that statement. We don't believe here at Orchard that the Bible just contains truth and has truth. We believe it is truth. All of it. Genesis to Revelation. It is truth. It is absolute truth. And it is from God himself. It's not our job to go into the Bible and pick and choose uh, what we believe or don't believe or like or don't like or what we think is true or not true. It's our responsibility to let it transform our lives. That's why our number one value here at Orchard Church is we always ask, what does the Bible say? And what I want to do with the rest of our time today, and I hope you'll take some notes, is I want to give you three reasons why I believe we can trust the Bible, that God has proven himself through Scripture, that why we can trust the Bible as absolute truth. And I know that I'm known to speak at 60 miles an hour with gusts up to 100, and this is going to be one of those days. Um, don't try to write down everything that I say. I'm going to give you a lot of information that I, I pray leads to some transformation today. You can go back, watch it online, pause it, get some details. But I have given you some resources for further, further study. And I hope you'll take some time to dig a little deeper uh, into this subject. Uh, one of those is a website called alwaysbeready.com. It's a great web website about defending the faith and, and the Bible and Christianity and, and that's been proven. And so you can go there. Another one is a great book by Lee Strobel. He's a well-known apologist um, who defends the faith, and he wrote a book called The Case for Faith. It's a journalist investigates the toughest objections to Christianity. A lot of the things I'm going to talk about today, just touch on, he's going to go a lot deeper in this book. So if you want to go deeper in this subject, get that book, check out that website. And I want to give one of these out right now. I want to give this to a first-time guest today, uh, and you can pick it up at the next steps table. So the first-time first guest I see, raise your hand. Then you can, okay, right back here. I saw it. Somebody raised your hand for you. So, all right, let's welcome that first time guest. You can pick this up at the next steps corner before you leave today. It's good to have you here. Let me give you three reasons why I believe that we can trust the Bible and why we always ask, what does the Bible say? The first one is this. We can trust the Bible because of the Bible's unexplainable unity. We can trust the Bible because of its unexplainable unity. The way that this book was put together, I believe, proves that it's not the work of man. It's the work of God. Um, Paul talked about this to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16. And Paul said this, all scripture. Everybody say all scripture. Again, not some, not most. All scripture is inspired by who? By God. This word inspired in the original Greek language means God breathed. That God breathed his words to people that wrote it down. Because if you know, if you've done a little bit of study about the Bible, what you know is that men and some women actually penned and wrote the words of Scripture. They were doing the writing, but God was doing the talking. God was doing the inspiring. They were just instruments that God used. It wasn't their thoughts. It wasn't their words. It was God's. Uh, let me kind of illustrate it this way. Um, how many of you all have an iPhone? You have an iPhone? Yeah, be proud of that, okay? How many of you all do not have an iPhone? Okay, let's pray for those folks, all right? But if you have an iPhone, you know, you can do the Hey Siri thing, and you can say, dictate something to Siri. So a lot of times, you know, when I leave the office and I'm headed home, if I'm running late, I'll say, Hey Siri, text Shelly, my wife, and I, I'm on my way home. I'll be there in just a few minutes. When she receives that text, she doesn't read it and go, Oh, Siri sent me a text. Oh, Siri's going to be home for dinner. No, she knows that that came from me. Siri was just the instrument. That's the same way we got the Bible. Human beings, people were the instrument that God used, but God did the talk, talking. If that makes sense, say yes. yes. 
Now, now this is just a public service announcement. This, this one is free. Uh, you got to be careful with Siri and what she writes down. You got to be careful with autocorrect today. Anybody had a bad experience with that? One day, uh, a few summer, summers ago, my son was playing on a baseball team, and they were the Denver Generals. And I uh, tried to put something on social media, and I tried to dictate it to Siri, and she translated it. Uh, I started to say, go generals. It said, go genitals. And so you, you got to check that stuff. I'm just trying to help somebody out today, save you some embarrassment. But let me talk to you about the unexplainable unity of how God put this book together. Both in its content and construction proves this is a supernatural book. There's no other book like the Bible. Let me give you some evidence to consider. The word Bible actually means books because the Bible is made up of a, up of a collection of 66 individual books that give us the one book, the Bible. But what's interesting and supernatural is that from Genesis to Revelation, it reads like one continuous story with a unity that is humanly unexplainable. Let me give you some examples. For instance, the Bible was written over a period of 1,500 years of time, covering 60 different generations. It was written by 40 different authors that God used to pen the Scripture. It was written in three different, on three different continents, and the culture always affects writing. It was written by people from all different walks of life. It was written by kings and queens and the poor and the rich and farmers and doctors and carpenters and housewives. It was written by tax collectors and historians and soldiers and fishermen. It was written by prophets. It was written by male and female. The Bible is written in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. And the Bible writes about hundreds of controversial subjects that people don't normally agree on, like creation, life, death, eternity, morality, parenting, marriage, money, love, sexuality, politics, and yet it has this agreement and unity that is supernatural. Let me, let me illustrate it this way. Imagine if I gave you all the homework assignment this week that we want to put together a book about what Orchard Church believes about some controversial subjects. And so I said, I want all of you and all three of our services to go home this week and write a one-page article on what you believe about morality, love, death, marriage, parenting, and money. And then bring those back next week. And then we collect all those and we just put them in a big three ring binder. And on the front of that binder, we say, what Orchard Church believes about all of these subjects? And then we were, yes, yeah, somebody said, ouch, yeah. And then we were to give that out. If people read that, it would be the most confusing, self-conflicting, ridiculous thing you ever read. Yet, when it comes to this book, when it comes to the Bible, you have a book written over 1,500 years, 40 different authors, three different languages, different times, places, people from all different walks of life, writing about hundreds of controversial subjects, and yet there's this one unfolding story that fits together perfectly with no errors or contradictions. That is humanly unexplainable. That's supernatural. That's unparalleled. That's unequal. There's no book like the Bible. That is why we believe we can trust the Bible, that it's from God. Can we really trust the Bible? I believe reason number one we can trust the Bible is because of its unexplainable unity. The second reason, if you're taking notes, why I believe we can trust the Bible is because of the Bible's uncoincidental prophecies. 
Somebody asked, is uncoincidental a word? It is today because it fits the outline really nice, okay? But no, I actually Googled it. It is a word, all right? It's just coincidental with un in front of it. The Bible's uncoincidental prophecies, I believe, prove that this book is from God. It is absolute truth and it can be trusted because the Bible has the ability to predict the future. That's what prophecy is, predicting the future. And and it predicts the future with 100% accuracy, Now, there's been a lot of other books, religious books that have been written that have tried to predict the future, and they've been wrong time and time again. But in 6,000 years or so of human history, the Bible has never been wrong one time. And we're not just talking about 100 um, prophecies or 1,000 prophecies. Um, Bible scholars tell us there are over 10,365 prophecies in the Bible. Over 10,000 predictions of the future, and yet it's never missed one time. Because God is the God of prophecy. He's the author of the book and he can be trusted. And nobody can predict the future like our God because he knows the beginning from the end. Um, God talked about this through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 48. Listen to what God said. Why he put so much prophecy in the Bible. He said, long ago I told you what was going to happen. Then suddenly I took action and all my predictions came true. Not some of them, not most of them, all of them. I mean, God is batting a thousand. He goes on and says, okay, God, why did you do this? Why did you give us all these prophecies? Here's why he did it. He says, for I know how stubborn and obstinate you are. God's words, not mine. Don't shoot the messenger, okay? What's he saying? You don't easily trust anybody. You need it to be proven. So I've proven it through prophecy. I know how stubborn and obstinate you are. Your necks are as unbending as iron. Your heads are as hard as bronze. My dad used to quote that to me when I was a little kid all the time. Doug, your head is hard as bronze. God says, that is why I told you what would happen. I told you beforehand what I was going to do. God is saying, I know you're not easily convinced. So I've proved myself. I've proved the Bible through all of the prophecies. Let me give you a couple examples of some uncoincidental prophecies that prove that God wrote the Bible. And we're not going to cover 10,000. We don't have time for that. But let me give you a couple of them. Um, The first one is this, if you're taking note. Um, the prophecies concerning Jesus' first coming. When Jesus first came to this earth over 2,000 years ago, what you may or may not realize is that before Jesus arrived, there were over 360 predictions and prophecies about the Messiah. We believe Jesus to be the Messiah. It predicted his birth. It predicted his genealogical line. It predicted his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And they all came true exactly like the Bible said, yet it was written, those prophecies were written hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born. And he fulfilled every one of them, just like the Bible said. Now, there are some skeptics that come along and say, well, that was just a coincidence. I mean, eventually somebody was going to be born in the human race that was going to line up with all the prophecies. Now, I don't know how he pulled off that virgin birth thing, but he did. And, and, but they say, well, it's a coincidence. So uh, some numerologists using the principle of probability said, let's just take eight of the major prophecies about Jesus, the Messiah. Now, there were 360, but let's just take eight of the major ones that were predicted hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born. What is the likelihood that just coincidentally, accidentally, someone would come along and be born and even just line up with eight? And this is what the mathematicians told us. It would be the chances of one in 100 quadrillion. That's like one with 17 zeros after it. 
And to help us wrap our minds around this a little better, they said it would be like this. If you took quarters and you stacked them two foot deep over the entire state of Texas and you painted one of the quarters with a red red paint on it and you kind of mixed them up and then you blindfolded a guy and let him walk into the state of Texas and he has one chance blindfolded to pick up the red quarter, that's the chances of one man named Jesus coming to this earth and fulfilling even eight of the prophecies, and yet Jesus fulfilled over 360 of the prophecies according to the Bible. Yeah, we can celebrate that. Proving this book is true. I mean, one writer said either the Bible is true or Jesus was the luckiest man to ever live. But I think we know the answer to that. Let me give you another example of some uncoincidental prophecies, and that's prophecies concerning Jesus' second coming. Just like Jesus came 2,000 years ago, he went back to heaven, but the Bible prophesies and predicts that he's coming again. We sang about that this morning. The king is coming. The king is coming. Does anybody believe that today, that Jesus is going to come back? Yeah, we do. We, we believe that it's going to first happen with the rapture of the church with believers and then there's going to be about seven years of tribulation and then Jesus is literally going to come back to this earth and he's going to rule and reign for a thousand years. We're going to be doing a series about the end times in, in the future. We'll talk more about this but the Bible has a lot of predictions and prophecies about the end times, the last days before the return of Jesus Christ and one of those prophecies is found in Daniel chapter 12. God speaking through the prophet Daniel 3,000 years ago, listen to what he said. This is what God said through Daniel 3,000 years ago. He gave him this prophecy. But you, Daniel, keep this prophecy, this prediction, a secret. Seal up the book until the, the time of the end, the last days before Christ's return, when many will rush here and there and knowledge will increase. You know, people say today we're living in the information age. But I particularly want us to look at this phrase where God said... At the end times, the last days, he predicted that people would rush here and there. Many Bible scholars believe that that is a reference written 3,000 years ago that in the future, in the last days, there would be a vast increase in the speed and frequency of travel and how people get around. But it was written 3,000 years ago. In 1680, 1680 AD, there was a scientist, maybe you remember him from school, named Sir Isaac Newton. He was actually a Christian. He was a believer, and he read this prophecy that God gave to Daniel in 1680, 2,500 years later, and here's what he said. Personally, I cannot help but believe these words refer to the end times. Men will travel from country to country in an unprecedented manner. There may be some inventions that will enable people to travel much more frequently and quickly than they do now. That speed might even, wait for it, exceed 40 miles per hour. Now, if you think that's funny, 80 years later, there was a French atheist that came along named Voltaire. And he read what Sir Isaac Newton wrote in 1680. And here's what he said about the prophecy. See what a fool Christianity makes of an otherwise brilliant man. Here's a scientist like Newton who actually writes that man might travel at speeds up to 30 or 40 miles per hour based on a Bible verse in Daniel. Has he forgotten if man travels at this rate of speed, he would suffocate and his heart would stand still. I'd like to have you all bow for prayer. I want to pray for all of you as you travel home today. If you exceed 40 miles per hour, I don't want you to suffocate or your hearts to stand still. Listen, the Bible can be trusted. The uncoincidental prophecies about Jesus are just a couple of examples. 
Can we really trust the Bible? Yes. We believe it's absolute truth. It's why we always ask, what does the Bible say? Because of its unexplainable unity, the way God put it together. Because of its uncoincidental prophecies and predictions. And then, can I give you one more? Are you ready for one more? Okay, three of you. Awesome. I'm going to give you one more. All right. I believe we can trust the Bible because of the Bible's unimaginable teachings. And I think this one really proves that God wrote the Bible. We can trust the Bible because of its unimaginable teachings, what it teaches. It's been well said that man could not write the Bible if he would, and man would not write the Bible if he could. Let me unpack this with three examples of some of the unimaginable teachings in the Bible. If you're taking notes, the first one is concerning the teachings about God that we read in this book, that we read in the Bible, what it teaches about our, our God. Now, if we've been in church for a while, if we've grown up in church, there's some things that we've heard maybe all of our life about God, and so we take them for granted. Like, we believe that our God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. We believe that he's omnipotent. He's all-power. He's omnipresent. He can be everywhere at the same time. We believe that our God is a trinity. He's three in one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We believe that he's eternal and everlasting, and he's always been. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. We believe all those things because that's what the Bible tells us. But when you take all those attributes and those characteristics about God that you find in the Bible, it absolutely transcends man's finite intellect. It blows our minds. We don't think like that. There's no way such a finite being like man could create and invent such an infinite being like God, the one you read about in scriptures. The psalmist alluded to this, and he touched on this in Psalm 40, verse 5. He said this, O Lord my God, you have performed many wonders, wonders for us. Your plans for us are too numerous to list. You have no equal. And even if I tried to recite all your wonderful deeds, I would never come to the end of them. What was he saying? He's beyond human description. And when you compare the God of the Bible, our God, to other man-made gods and man-made religions, there's no comparison. There's no comparison to our God's awesomeness and to his power and his majesty and his splendor and his character. And he deserves our worship and our praise. Can we give him some praise? Amen. I believe the teachings about God prove that this book wasn't written by man. It was written by God. Here's another example of the unimaginable teachings that prove that the Bible can be trusted. The teachings about people, the teachings about you and I. I mean, we wouldn't write these things if we were writing the Bible apart from God. Because the Bible teaches and tells us that you and I are sinful. We're corrupt, we're depraved, we're helpless and hopeless without God in our life, without Jesus as our Savior. I mean, would we really say those things about ourselves? It's not what we say about ourselves. What do we do? Most of us, we go around and we say, you're okay, I'm okay, we're really not that bad. You're the man. The Bible says, no, you're not. No, you're not. The Bible says that without God and without Jesus, we are helpless and hopeless. And think about this. If, if human beings are going to set some standards for themselves, like what you read in the Bible, we're at least going to make them attainable. But that's not what you read. Apart from a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, we can never reach what God has set as the standard for us. Because you know what God's standard is? Holiness and perfection. Anybody got that one down? Okay, if you raise your hand, you just blew it because you lied, right? <laughs> no, the Bible says in Romans 3, 23, 
every one of us has sinned, and because of it, we fall short of God's glorious standard. We can't meet that standard. Romans 3.10 says, as the scriptures say, the Bible say, no one is righteous. That word righteous means right with God. Nobody is right with God, not even one. We are not right with God by anything we do or we obtain. We are only made right with God when we place our faith and trust in his son, Jesus Christ. That's how we're made right with God. But if we're, we're trying to write the Bible, we're going to make things obtainable so that we can reach them. But that's not what you read in the Bible. And then you think about some of the heroes of the faith that you read about in the Bible. Uh, people like Noah and Moses and Abraham and Isaac and David and Ruth and Esther and Mary. I mean, these people did some amazing, incredible, supernatural things for God that you read about in the Bible. But can we also agree that some of those same people did some pretty horrible things? They messed up. They screwed up. And the Bible records not only they're good, but also they're bad. I mean, if people are writing the Bible, they're going to leave out the bad stuff. You know, if, if I'm like writing the Bible and I'm talking with God, I'm like, God, can I leave that part of my life out? Can we just skip over that? But God wouldn't allow them because, because they didn't write the Bible. God wrote the Bible through them. I mean, when we're talking about our life, we just want to talk about the highlights. I've seen a lot of y'all's social media posts. It's a highlight reel. Some of y'all never have a bad day. It's like, come on. But, you know, we, one of our values here at Orchard Church is we keep it real. Can we agree the Bible keeps it real? The good, the bad, the ugly, all of it. Because God said, write this down. Say it this way. Uh, let me give you an example. Jonah. Remember the story of Jonah? We just studied the book of Jonah um, a few series ago. And if you read the story of Jonah, nothing is good that happens to Jonah. Jonah's, Jonah's not a real great guy. You open the story, God tells Jonah to go, and Jonah says no, and he runs from God, tries to hide from God, goes in the opposite direction. He gets on a ship, he gets thrown overboard, he gets swallowed by a big fish. I think it was a whale. I'm going to ask God someday when we get there. He, and then he gets thrown up on the shore, and then he finally obeys God reluctantly. God does a miracle. Revival breaks out in the city. Jonah should have been excited and thrilled, and instead he's sitting under a tree, and he's pouting, and he's sulking. And there's nothing, the book of Jonah doesn't paint Jonah in any good light. Guess who wrote the book of Jonah? Jonah. <laughs> because God told him to tell his story. Tell it this way. Don't leave anything out. David's another example. I mean, David, man, he's a hero uh, in the Bible, a hero of our faith. But David didn't get everything right. David was a human being. Yeah, David was a man after God's own heart. But David had a, one night that was pretty bad. He messed up royally. Remember, he's up on top of his roof, and he looks over at the other roof, and splish, splash, he's taking a bath. Bathsheba over there, he commits adultery, and then to hide his sin, he has her husband killed in battle. And yet we read about that in the Bible, and David even talks about it in, in Psalms, because God wrote the Bible. Why would these people say these things about themselves? They, they didn't. God did. He was doing the talking. Man could not write the things concerning the teachings about God, and man would not write the teachings concerning the teachings about man and about people. And, and this last teaching, I believe, really nails it and, and really seals it and proves that the Bible is true and that it came from God and that it can be trusted. And why we always ask, what does the Bible say? And it's this reason. Can the Bible really tr be trusted? I believe it can be trusted because of the teachings about salvation. The teachings about salvation. How is someone saved? How is someone forgiven of their sins that separate them from a relationship with God? How do you have eternal life? How do you get to go to heaven when you die? Well, natural man's idea of salvation is always the same. What do I have to do? It's about works. 
It's about what standard do I need to keep? What ritual do I need to participate in? What sacrifice do I need to make? What level of spirituality do I need to obtain? That's why 98% of all the world's religions that are man-made tell you if you want to have eternal life, this is what you have to do. It's all about works. It's all about works because that's the way man thinks. What do I have to do? How do I earn it? How do I get there? But the Bible teaches something completely opposite of that. Paul sums it up best in Ephesians 2, 8, 9 when he says this, God saved you by his grace. Grace is unmerited favor. We didn't deserve it. God saved you by his grace when you believed. Not when you did anything, but when you put your faith in Jesus. And you can't take credit for this. I can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. He goes on and says, salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. That's what the Bible says, but man doesn't think like that. We always think, what do I have to do? 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 And God says, listen, it's not about what you do. It's about what has been done for you. You see, man spells um, salvation, D-O. What do I have to do? God spells salvation, D-O-N-E. It's about what was done for you on the cross 2,000 years ago. And praise God for that. Salvation is not based on human works, but the finished work of our Lord and Savior. But, but natural man doesn't think that way. The teachings about salvation, I believe, prove that the Bible is true. It's from God. It's absolute truth. We can trust it. And it's why we always ask here at Orchard Church, what does the Bible say? Let me wrap all this up with kind of a fun little story that happened um, quite a few years ago, over 20, about 20 years ago. Um, and let me just say, if you have young children in here right now and they're not no-see kids, um, you might want to cover their ears. Spoiler alert, all right? We were uh, coming home from church one day, and my son, Caleb, uh, was about six years old. And we were trying to teach him the difference between fun and make-believe and reality because we didn't want him to be confused. We wanted him to know that God and Jesus and the Bible are real, and there's some other th things that are fun and they're make-believe, and we can have fun with them, but there's a difference between these. And so we, we, we decided to quiz him a little bit because he was talking about what he learned in his class about God and stuff. And so we said, well, Caleb, let, let me ask you a question. Um, the Easter Bunny, is the Easter Bunny real or is that just make-believe? Is that just for fun? And he thought for a second, he goes, no, I think that's just make-believe. I think that's just, just for fun. We said, okay. We said, well, what about the Tooth Fairy? You know, when you lose a tooth, you put it on your nightstand and, you know, a quarter shows up. I was cheap. Okay, I'm sorry. All right. And uh, is the Tooth Fairy real? Is that a real person or is that just for fun and make-believe? And he goes, no, I think that's just for fun. That's just make-believe. So then we went right to the top. We said, what about Santa Claus? Is he real or is that just for fun? Is that just kind of make-believe and kind of a fun part of Christmas? And he, go, he thought for a second. He thought a little longer on that one. And he goes, no, I, I think it's just for fun and it's just kind of more make-believe and, and all that. And we said, oh, okay. And then we said, well, let me ask you this question. Is Jesus real or is Jesus just for fun or make-believe? I mean, you've never seen Jesus. You've never met Jesus. You've never talked to him. And immediately he goes, oh, yeah. He said, yes, Jesus is real. He's not make-believe. And we said, well, Caleb, how do you know? Six years old. He said, because it's in the Bible, and the Bible is always true. Can't say it any better than that. That's why we always ask, what does the Bible say? Would you join me in an attitude of prayer with heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment? Can we really trust the Bible? I believe we can. But so what? What, what now? What, what is all we this mean what we talked about today what, what are the practical implications for our lives today I don't want anyone to leave here today with some better information I want you to have transformation 
We never want to teach and preach for information. We want to be doers of the word, not just hearers of God's word. If you're here today with heads bowed and eyes closed and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you would probably say that you believe the Bible is true. And that's why you put your faith and trust in Jesus. I would say it's true. But here's the thing. We say we believe, but do we live like we believe that it's true? Are we reading it? I'm not talking about just on the weekends here at Orchard when we put it on the screen or you open up your Bible. But what about Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, the rest of the week? Is God speaking to you? Are you getting into God's Word? Is God's Word getting into you? And then more importantly, are we applying it? Are we obeying it? Are we trusting it? You see, as Christians, we all have people in our sphere of influence, in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our community, that are watching us, and they're skeptical. And we may be the only Bible that some people ever read. Are we living out the Bible like we believe it's true? And how many of you would be honest enough today with heads bowed and eyes closed to say, you know what? I do believe God's word is truth, but I also know that I could be in it more, I could be applying it and living it more out in my life. Would you pray for me, Pastor Doug, that I would apply these things today? Would you slip up your your hands for prayer all across the auditorium? Amen. God bless you. God bless you, church. My hand's up with you. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that we would take this message to heart today that would strengthen and build our faith and that it would drive us and propel us to be in your word more and your word to be in us and for us to apply it and obey it and live it out. May we be doers of your word and not just hearers only. And may other people see the life change that it brings in our life and our marriage, our families, our finances, our decisions, and that people would want what we claim to have. Knowing your word and living that your word is absolute truth. So we continue an attitude of prayer with heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment. You may be here today and you've never received Jesus into your life by faith like we talked about to have your sins forgiven to have eternal life I think there, there are basically two responses to this message today if you, you came in and you're not a believer and you're not sure and you're just beginning your faith journey for some of you might go you know that really didn't prove anything that was kind of foolish and sort of a waste of time and you'll leave the same way you came in and that's okay we respect it's a decision only you can make it's between you and God but I believe there's others of you that God has done something in your heart today in a supernatural way, through his spirit and his word. Jesus said in John chapter 8 that you should know the truth and the truth will set you free. I believe God wants to set some of you free today. Free from your sins and free to enjoy life the way God intended for you to enjoy it. You've, you're going to find truth today. And truth is a person and his name is Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And he has revealed himself to you today. And he offers you eternal life, sins forgiven, and abundant life here and now. And all you have to do is say yes in faith. The Bible says anyone who will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And one of the ways we can call on the Lord is through prayer. I'm going to pray a simple prayer of faith out loud in just a moment. And if you're ready to invite Jesus into your life by faith, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer right now, right where you sit, from your heart to God's. It's not a magic prayer. These aren't magic words we say, but if it comes from a heart of belief and faith, you can invite Jesus into your life today and your life will never be the same again and you'll never regret this decision. If that's you, you know who you are. Would you pray this prayer with me from your heart to God's right now? It goes like this. Jesus, come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. I want to know and follow you. Forgive me of my sins. I do 
believe in you. And I believe in your word. Thank you, Jesus, for pursuing me and loving me. Thank you. Thank you. So we continue an attitude of prayer with heads bowed, nice closed. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but if you prayed that prayer for the first time, and I believe some of you did, I would love the privilege to pray for you right now, that you would just grow in your walk and relationship with Jesus from this day forward. So without anyone else looking around, I'm going to count to three, and can I pray for you? Would you just lift up your hand nice and high? One, two, three, lift it up. God bless you, ma'am, right here. God bless you down front. Yes, a couple people together right here. Yes, this couple. God bless you. Yes, God bless you on my left. God bless you in the back. Yes, over on my right. Amen. Several hands. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we just lift up all those today that have experienced life change and transformation through your word and your spirit. Lord, we welcome them into the family of God as our new brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray that they would grow in their walk and relationship with you, that we come alongside of them, help them in any way we can to follow you now that they have found you. And Lord, we pray that we would go out of here changed and different and our faith uh, built and strengthened on your word that we will always ask, what does the Bible say? And that we'll live it out each and every day of our lives. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Saying yes to Jesus is the biggest decision you can ever make. We've created this booklet to help you with your next steps. So if you have prayed that prayer, let us know by emailing us your address to yes at orchard.church and we'll send you a copy.